Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 172, live from Sun and Fun 2018, day two, coming up next on this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast, day number two. I'm here with uh, some of my co-hosts, and uh, we are excited to actually be here recording live from Sun and Fun. A little impromptu. We're actually here at Show Center. We had a break from working on the station. Of course, our main goal here is to volunteer at Sun and Fun. You can actually stream them live, liveatc.net slash SNF. And I'm here with Russ, Russ Rosleski. Man, I tell you what, you've been banging out some interviews, and uh, what's it like today compared to our washout yesterday? Well, the great thing is I can walk around without getting wet. So, I mean, that, that alone. And there are a ton more people. Everybody's outside. Everybody's excited. Uh, you know, we're not walking around in ponchos or anything like that. So, I uh, got a lot of great people I talked to, interesting airplanes, interesting people. I, I think you're really going to enjoy the interviews today. And don't forget, we talked a lot about uh, you flying in. You actually flew in a 182 into the show, a very unique. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful uh, flight from Oklahoma City, a little stop in Meridian, Mississippi for lunch and gas and uh, arrival procedure in here, no problems, a little bit of weather, but uh, that that's what you get with a, I don't know, 900-mile flight, a little bit of weather is guaranteed. For those of us that live here in Florida, make sure you do bring your sweaters, your jackets in the morning, sweatshirts, it is kind of cold. These t- two folks sitting next to me, Larry Overstreet and Russ, don't understand what that means. Larry, wasn't it cold this morning? Uh, yeah, cold. Um, when I left Wisconsin, I had ice on the side of my RV. This is toasty warm. I love this. It, it really is a beautiful day. And if you're in the area, or can, if you can get here anytime this week, it's going to be a, an amazing week. Um, the sun is out. The skies are blue. Uh, the air show is going to be starting here in a little bit. Nice breeze. You couldn't ask for a better air show day. And I can't ask for some. The people here are just absolutely wonderful and so nice at, at Sun and Fun. It's it truly is fun. There's a lot of sun, and uh, the rest of the week's going to be gorgeous. I hear a little bit of weather possibly on Sunday. And you said you came here to camp. Uh, it's an opportunity not just for the folks that work here at the radio station. There's a there's a lot of folks here in campers, aren't there? Oh yeah. There's I, I don't know what the count is, but there's got to be you know hundreds or thousands of people uh, camping out uh, in the in the camping area, and then also people who camp with your airplanes. So you can do either. Awesome. You know, actually, uh, we've we've kind of did an impromptu uh, opening here, and I just wanted to say hello to uh, our other co-host, and that would be Victoria Nuvo. Victoria, hey, how's it been so far? I just went shopping. I had a blast. There's so much to buy here, and I think I have a whole new wardrobe now. So, yeah. It's great. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Terrific. So anyway, we're going to go ahead with some interviews here today, and uh, we have oh, quite a few coming up. Stuck Mike Avcast here on the deck. We're going to have day one, two, three, and four. So uh, anyway, we can, we, uh, oh, the other thing I forgot to tell you, uh, and Victoria can describe this, it's that thing, what do you call it again, where they can actually take their picture and, uh, and share it on social media? 
I believe that is a hashtag, Carl. It's not a pound sign, is it, Larry? Not a pound sign. No, that would be different. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, we got to go. We have some interviews to get to. Enjoy these interviews, and we'll talk to you again at the end of uh, end of those interviews. Larry, go have some fun, would you? Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. Going out now. All right, guys. Enjoy the interviews. Good morning, folks. We're live from Sun and Fun 2018. This is Bill English with Stuck Mike Avcast and Sun and Fun Radio. And we have got bright, sunny days today. We are here with Jeff Tort of the International Cessna 120 and 140 Association. That is a type club for those Cessna 120s and 140s. So, Jeff, could you tell our listeners who might not know, what is a, what is a type club? What does that do for, for pilots and owners? Well, there's a specific amount of uh, airplanes out there that are, you know, um, the novelty or the traditional type of aircraft that, um, you know, your J3s, your Air Coupes, Stinson, uh, Short Wing Piper Club, and then uh, Cessna 120, 140, um, Cessna 195s too. But uh, so those people have tendency to have what's in common with that airplane. And um, so it's a, it's a group that we have an annual fly-in every year, and then, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all over the country or all over the world. Our, our group's all over the world. We're worldwide. Wow. How many members do you have? We have uh, 1,300 members uh, roughly right now, and I believe there's about 3,000 120, 140s um, currently registered. Does the Type Club help people who may have, uh, you know, bought one of these uh Pretty old airplanes now, right? About 70 years old. And uh, could, can they help with restorations and then keeping them uh, mechanically sound? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the thing with the older airplanes like that is the uh, Piper and Cessna has kind of relieved themselves a little bit from the older knowledge of it. So some of the people that are in the club and the information that the club has uh, organized and, and saved is more than you could find anywhere else. That's great. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the, the 120 and 140? I think everybody's familiar with Cessnas, but uh, these, these vintage airplanes, uh, as you say, there's not that many of them around anymore. Um, how far back uh, do they go? Well, in uh, is the best of my knowledge on that, uh, 46, 47, and 48 uh, brought the 120 and the 140 in the market. And then I believe in the early 50s, the 140A, right before the Cessna 150 started, um, the most of them are 1946s. There's most of the 120, 140s you see are 46s. So um, we've got a 48, and by that time they had some of the ADs and the service bulletins on the airplane were, were better. So the more they progressed, and they only changed a little. You really can't tell a 120 from a 140 apart. I mean, really. These are basic two-seat trainers, tail dragger type airplanes, right? Two seats side by side, uh, weighing in right at about 1,000 pounds, and... Um, pretty tight quarters inside but they were from what i've heard from everybody and and what ours proves too it's a pretty fast little airplane for its time i mean we indicate 110 115 mile per hour out of it on a 90 horse so um the old timers have always said if you had a horsepower if it was 65 horse it'd go 65 so uh so they were a little bit faster than the, the flat wing some of the flat wings in those days um so What's it like flying those now? I mean, you know, not a lot of people have tailwheels anymore. Are these a good uh, tailwheel transition airplane for people to look at? I learned on a J3, and um, uh, it, it, they, they're challenging to the point of they, they kind of keep you on your toes when you're flying, but not to the point of where you're petrified to fly one. Um, you know, if it's set up right and tire pressure's right and alignment and everything else is good on it and you're not fighting some 30-mile-an-hour crosswind, 
it's a great airplane. Sounds great. Sounds like a great uh, way to get into some uh, some maybe remote places or some interesting places. What uh, type of interesting destinations have you been to with yours? Well, we've been uh, pretty much with it. That's what's great about the, the type uh, clubs is we have a different fly-in in a different state every year. So instead of just flying around the patch or being in touch with these people, you know, on Christmas cards and whatever, uh, in September, uh, late part of September, we take off and we fly to a different state every year. So um, our farthest trip was 30 hours round trip flying. Uh, we did from, uh, we're southwest of Chicago, and we flew to Tucson and back. And um, 30 hours of flying, 3,000 miles, and it was, we just had a ball. So we've been all over the country, uh, upstate New York, um, Florida, uh, Clearwater, Florida, uh, Wyoming, and all the way out to uh, 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 Tucson with it. So you can get somewhere in it. It just depends on, you know, fuel cost and uh, uh, find a good shower at night. All right. That sounds like a fun little airplane and uh, and a great idea to, no matter what kind of airplane you've got, to try to find a type club and get that kind of support. Absolutely. Yep. I highly recommend, um, you know, getting into, if you're going to get an airplane, uh, find a group, find someone that'll get you flying because you can only fly around the airport so many times, you know. That's true. Thanks a lot, Jeff. And uh, hope to see you uh, flying around here around Sun and Fun. Uh, for Stuck Mike Avcast, this is Bill English for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Victoria Neuville with the Stuck Mike Agcast reporting live with Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 2018. And I have two lovely ladies with me today. Um, they're actually interns with the 99s. And the 99s is a mem- um, an organization I am actually a member of um, out in the Sugarloaf chapter out east. And the 99s were formed by Amelia Earhart back in the 1940s. What happened is 99 women showed up to the first meeting and their great organization began. And out here at Sun and Fun, and um, Monica and Haley are with me, and they're both interns with the 99s, and this is something I haven't heard of before. So, um, Monica, can you tell me a bit about how you heard about the internship and how to apply? Okay, yes. Well, actually, I go to the Aerospace Academy, so our principal called me down. He's like, hey, we know you're with the James Seary Scholarship, and we think that this would be a great opportunity that would fit you, considering that you are female in the 99s, our women organization. So from there, I applied, and a couple of days later, Elizabeth Vance emailed me back saying that I got it, and from there, it's just been an amazing experience. So what would you do on a daily basis? It sounds like you learn a little bit about social media, holding um, you know, press releases, things like that, public relations. Right, yeah, we've been going around, we've been interviewing people, and we've been interviewed as well. Um, we could take pictures, and I know Haley actually got a chance to go and fly with the aeroshell. Oh, oh my, all right, tell me about that. <laughs> um, the secretary to Mr. Leanhouts actually pulled me aside, and um, she was like, oh, by the way, you're going to go fly with aeroshell, and I was I was shocked because I've always wanted to fly with an aerobatic team, and it was an amazing experience, one once in a lifetime, and I really loved it. So was this, um, this was the first time in an aerobatic plane, but have you flown before? What was your introduction to aviation? Uh, my introduction to aviation was my father would take me to Fantasy of Flight every Sunday when I was about five years old, and we would have lunch there, and... Um, I guess that's where aviation, I fell in love with aviation. So do either of you have goals? Is this going to be a career for you? What, what, what are your plans going forward, and how are the 99s helping you achieve those goals? 
Well, right now as a student pilot, 99 is just seeing the support, and they're really motivating me to continue on getting my pilot's license and seeing all these women, what you can do with the license, all the different opportunities, because personally, I don't want to make a career out of it, but there are just so many different things to do with flying, and I just want to see where... I can go with it. No, that's great. You know, um, I actually work in aircraft insurance. It's not something I grew up dreaming of doing, but it's where I ended up. Um, and I get to talk to pilots on a daily basis and volunteer at radio shows like this. Um, what else uh, can you tell me about this James C. Ray Scholarship and how it's helping you achieve your goals, Haley? Um, the James C. Ray Scholarship was a scholarship fund that James C. Ray, he used to be a World War II pilot, and um, he made this scholarship because he knows how hard it is to find money to become a pilot, and he allows all Polk County students to apply um, to the scholarship, and it allows you to pursue your private pilot's license. Congrats to both of you. You really got a good head start with this internship. Um, anyone who's interested in joining the 99s and learning more about their intern program can go visit uh, Hangar A79, and they'll have an application there, and maybe you guys will get to meet Haley and Monica as well. Um, congratulations, girls. I look forward to hearing more about you. Like This is, this is a great start for you, definitely. You're going to have so much fun at Sun and Fun. Um, this is Victoria Newville, and we are live on Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 2018. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcash, reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 2018. Standing here now talking with Laura Radigan, who is the Sun and Fun Glider Airboss. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Russ. Uh, it's good to be here. It is, and we are standing next to... Well, it's an aerobatic glider. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this glider that we're standing next to? Well, this glider is owned by uh, a group of us. I'm a partial owner in this glider. It's called a Swift S1. There were uh, 24 of these gliders built. They're no longer being manufactured. And the unique uh, characteristics this glider has, it's fully aerobatic and is capable of pulling up to 10 Gs positive and 10 Gs negative, which puts it basically at the top of the heap for competitive aerobatic gliders. Yeah, 10, plus or minus 10 Gs, that's got to be painful, especially the negative hand. Absolutely. Uh, my load, my personal load limits are plus 7.5 and minus 4, and, and even that is pushing it. I believe it. Now, this is a, uh, a purpose-built uh, aerobatic glider, as, as you were mentioning. So how does it differ from the, the normal glider that you might see out at the local airport? Well, typically, uh, your normal glider out at the airport will have what's called dihedral, which means uh, from the glider out to the tips of the wings, the tips of the wings will be higher, in some cases significantly higher. And what that allows the glider to do is to be inherently stable in the upright position. Uh, this glider actually has 1.5 degrees of anhedral, which is anti-dihedral. The glider is inherently unstable and will fly as well, if not better, inverted than it does upright. That's interesting. So that would be definitely a benefit for some of the maneuvers, the types of maneuvers that you're doing here. Absolutely, Russ. Yes, it, it, that makes the glider incredibly responsive and the roll rate's quite high. Now, a lot of our listeners might be thinking aerobatics, we've seen, uh, you know, pits, airplanes, and extras, and these kind of things, they all have engines. Uh, there's a real fundamental difference when you're flying a glider, you don't have an engine. So how do you deal with that or handle that? Well, the trick with glider aerobatics, it's all about energy management. 
You're uh, in competitive aerobatics. You fly a program that typically consists of ten figures. Uh, each figure uh, will—they're all—they all slightly vary according to the amount of altitude you lose and the way you fly them. The more aggressively you fly a figure, the more speed you carry, the faster you come down. So the trick in glider aerobatics is getting all your figures executed to the. Uh, judging standard within the allowable altitude without busting your uh, FAR l limits. You know, obviously, uh, in uh, competitions such as in Oshkosh at the Nationals, uh, our top of the uh, aerobatic box is at 4,000 feet above the ground, and we have a, a, a hard deck of 1,500 above the ground. So you have to do those 10 figures within those constraints. Well, so it sounds like versus a powered aircraft where you have the ability to just climb back up a little bit if you need to, you really have to start this whole uh, routine planning all the way from the beginning how much altitude you're going to lose on each maneuver and, and where to do certain things. That's very true, Russ. It's where you wind up, uh, this is where the practice comes in. You have to know exactly how much altitude and energy you lose for each one of the figures. Uh, vertical climbs, you know, obviously lose you airspeed and uh you know, dives or outside loops that are descending maneuvers lose you altitude. Uh, we don't talk in terms of altitude and airspeed. We talk of energy because you can exchange the altitude for speed or climb the speed, exchange it for altitude. There's a loss in the process, but you always have to be cognizant of the fact that you only have so much energy to work with, and when you're done, you're done. That's absolutely right. And now, on this uh, glider. It has a pretty long wing, but I, I, th I think you were telling me earlier that these aren't really designed as soaring uh, gliders. They're specifically designed as competition gliders. So there's some fundamental differences there with glide ratio or weight or anything. Absolutely, uh, Russ. The, this glider has one of the shortest wingspans in, in gliders. This is a 13.2 meter wingspan all the way across. Uh, typically, uh, your standard class soaring glider starts at a 15 meter wingspan. Then the uh, open classes are an 18-meter wingspan, and the unlimiteds can be 20 or even 30-meter wingspans. Obviously, the longer the wing, the slower the roll weight, and the less uh, aggressive you can maneuver the aircraft. So uh, by having a short wingspan like this, with just like with the pits, it has a high roll rate and a high load factor. So what kind of maneuvers can you do? Uh, we, we've seen the powered aircraft do their loops and rolls and uh, other you know, types of maneuvers. Are there any glider-specific limitations, or are there things that maybe you can do that a powered airplane can't? Well, the, the trick with gliders is you can do pretty much any figure in the FAA Unlimited catalog that does not require torque of an engine. We can't do a torque roll because we don't have any torque. We can do tail slides. We can do inside-outside loops, snaps, positive and negative, all the vertical maneuvers, the tail, the uh, up and down tail slides. Uh, any of those maneuvers are easily within the flight envelope of the aircraft and the capabilities of our pilots. It's simply we just don't have an engine. Now, one of the things I, I guess that that you definitely need in a glider is very low drag, certainly. And I'm looking at the seating position on this glider, and it it the pilots reclined. That's very true, Russ. And, and the, most of your soaring gliders. Typically, you'll sit more upright, and especially in the training gliders, because you're not pulling any Gs. 
And just like our astronauts, you know, they are reclined in, in the space capsules so that they can more easily withstand the high G loads. This aircraft is designed exactly the same way. You lay down because it's easier to pull the high Gs. So we're going to see this glider in competition, oh, not a, in the air show uh, later, right? Uh, That's correct, Russ. It, we're, uh, Mr. Luca Bertosio is going to be flying this glider in the air show as soon as uh, we get the clearance to get started. Uh, he's currently in the pilot's briefing right now, and uh, we should be getting going here shortly. That sounds fantastic. Now, having talked with you, I think it's going to be far more interesting for me to watch this glider know you know the types of things we talked about. There is another glider here that you have. This the second glider uh, that's going to be uh, in the air show. Tell us a little bit about that one. Well, the, the second glider is not owned by our team. It's actually owned by a private individual who is a longtime air show performer here at Sun and Fun by the name of Manford Radius. Uh, he is a Canadian citizen. He comes down here and spends the whole summer at, uh, in Florida and travels through country doing air shows. The aircraft he uses is actually called a Salto, which is uh, Austrian for a swallow. It, uh, it is a more soaring type glider rather than a purpose-built aerobatic glider, although he does fly quite aggressive aerobatics with it. Uh, instead of having the anhedral that we talked about with the Swift, it actually has dihedral, it soars quite well, and it has a 13.2 uh, a meter wingspan, but it's, uh, it's a very interesting ship. It's got a V-tail. It's very visually interesting to look at. He also told me there's something else visually interesting to look at when he comes into land. Well, in the back of the glider, uh, most gliders have air brakes that pop out of the top and the bottom of the wings to uh, increase drag to allow the glider to land. Uh, his uh, air brakes are actually a differential air brake on the trailing edge of the wing where the front half goes up and the bottom half goes down. But he also has a drag chute that comes out of the back of the tail cone. Uh, it's not necessary to have that to uh, actually land the glider. The per air brakes are perfectly adequate, but it's very visually interesting to use the, air the drag chute during the daytime. He never uses it at night. Well, I'll, I'll be certain to be looking for it now that, that you mentioned that. I hope our listeners will, too. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about about aerobatic uh, glider flying? Well, I just want to say, you know, there's so many misconceptions about gliders in general. People think that you know, they're slow, they're simple, you know. Gliders are not light, they're not slow, they're not simple. They're, they're heavy aircraft. Uh, many of them weigh uh, upwards of a thousand pounds. Uh, they're certainly not slow. This aircraft has a velocity never exceed of well over 250 miles an hour. Uh, they're not simple. Uh, we use, you know, in soaring, we use multiple flight computers. And the workload in a glider when you're flying competition cross-country racing is nearly as high as that of a uh, fighter pilot. You know, you're doing a collision avoidance. You're thermaling with other gliders. You're always looking for areas of other lift. You're doing cross-country navigation. And you're doing energy management calculations in your head based upon your, your, your energy surplus or deficit. So the workload is quite high, and it's, it's, a, it's a thrilling and exciting sport that I want to see brought more to the forefront in the United States. In, in Europe, cross-country glider racing and glider aerobatics are very popular and very well-known and very well-publicized. Not so much here in the United States, and I'm trying to change that. If I was interested in more information about gliders or glider robotics, where could I go? Website? 
Uh, absolutely, Russ. Uh, the Soaring Society of America is the governing body that handles soar, uh, soaring flight here in the United States. It's uh, www.ssa.org. And, of course, uh, we have a local glider club here very close to Lakeland called Seminole Lake Glider Port. Uh, they're a commercial glider operation, and that's where both of of my glider and the team glider here are based out of, so we frequently do aerobatic training there. Well, that sounds like a good resource and a good place to go. Thank you for that information. Uh, any any closing comments? I just really appreciate the opportunity for us to, uh, you know, the Sun and Fun organizers to uh, give us this opportunity to showcase glider aerobatics on the world stage, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of it. Well, I'm very interested, and I'm certainly going to be watching uh, this part of the air show. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate your time. This is Russ Rosleski for, for Son of Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, supporting for Son of Fun Radio, Son of Fun 2018, sitting here with Sean Fiddler next to a very interesting uh, new aircraft. Sean, why don't you tell me about this? Sure. Uh, well, you're sitting in front of the Lance Air Mako. And the Lance Air Mako is essentially a redesigned or reimagined uh, Lance Air ES. There's about 300 Lance Air ESs out in the world. And also the Lance Air ES is the lineage of the Columbia 350, the Columbia 400, the Cessna Corvallis, and the Cessna TTX. They're all based on the, the Lance Air Mako, essentially, or the, the original version, the Lance Air ES. And it's a four-place, uh, high-performance piston single with normally aspirated or turbo Continental and light homing engines. And we've made a number of improvements to the aircraft and added a number of options and features. The major ones are the retractable nose gear that makes the aircraft look very distinctive. And also the right side door, which uh, we replace the top of the fuselage uh, parts with a carbon cap, which gives us a strength to add a carbon, uh, or sorry, a right side door. And then all the basic speed brakes, extended tanks. Um, we're actually extending and expanding the baggage compartment, making it about 50% larger. And uh, it's about a 190 knot aircraft at 8,000 feet with a normally aspirated engine and maybe 220 with a, uh, a Lycoming uh, TIO 540 as we have a brand new engine that we just put in the aircraft for Sun and Fun. So that's a basic description of the airplane. It's a very fast, very beautiful, almost exotic looking airplane. I love the uh, retractable nose gear. There's sort of mixed reviews about it. Some people think it's weird. I love it. And uh, I'm an old automotive guy from Detroit, and we know that marketing is the perfect marketing for any new product is you want half the people to hate it and half the people to love it because then they argue about it and it's free marketing. And I think we have that with the Mako. I think you're right about that. I've heard mixed comments myself as well. And certainly the retractable nose gear is the very, the most obvious distinctive part of the airplane. Uh, so let, let's kind of start with there. Uh, so just the nose gear retracts. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that design decision? What kind of drove that? Sure. Uh, it's, it's actually, a, a, I believe, a very intelligent decision. And it's based on maybe four factors. The first factor is you get about 70% of the total performance improvement at our cruising speeds by retracting the nose gear. So we're getting about 10 knots added out of the aircraft. And if we retract the mains, we might get 13, 14, 15 knots. And to do a full retract on a light aircraft like this with useful load concerns, it's a much heavier aircraft. It's much more mechanically complex and it's much more expensive. 
And by just retracting the nose gear, you're, for a very low cost, you're getting a lot of performance improvement uh, for very low cost. It's also an automated system based on logic using the Garmin G3X Touch. So there's five inputs, and hopefully I can remember them here under the knife with you. <laughs> sure. But there's a pressure switch on the nose gear, so nose contact on the ground, flap setting, power setting, GPS altitude, and one more. All those conditions need to be set uh, or, or met for the gear to automatically retract in the climb out or to extend in the descent. So it's an automatic system. You get a big green light in front of your face and a big red light when it comes up. You can feel it go up and down. But think about that for a se second. It's a very low possibility that you're going to A, miss the checklist check for it, you know, three green, green light, and also the system is going to fail. If there's a failure in the system, you can blow it down hydraulically, but it's, it's a, it's, you get a lot of benefit of a retractable gear aircraft, but with that automation, it's very unlikely that you're gonna have a gear up. And therefore, we're having conversations with insurance companies about giving our owners with that retractable nose gear a little bit of break and not considering it a full retract aircraft so they can save a little bit of money on their insurance. But overall, it's a very low-cost, efficient system that gives us a lot of bang for the buck in terms of performance with very low complex, uh, uh, complexity and uh, lower cost. Well, that is something that I, I wasn't aware of until you just mentioned that it is the automatic retraction as well as extension landing yeah. gear. I mean, there, there have been other airplanes with automatic extension systems with varying degrees of success in the past. Um, but automatic retraction system, well, that's kind of new, certainly on this, this type of aircraft. Yeah, essentially, it's, it's really quite simple. So, so all these conditions are met. And as you're climbing out, generally, as soon as you start to retract the flaps, as soon as you fully retract the flaps, your gear pops up. And after five flights, you come to expect that. And you feel it in the seat. It, it, uh, it makes a little bit of a clunk. You look at the light, you see it's orange, and then it turns red. Okay, my gear's up. And then as you're coming down into the pattern, you're getting down low. A condition is probably 2,000 feet AGL or something. You pull the power back. You get down and put in your first notch of flaps, and the gear comes down. And, it, and if it didn't come down or anything didn't happen at that point, you would know immediately. But you also, of course, follow your own checklist. So there's a sort of two aspects of that. But it becomes a very routine thing. It's a very cool thing something you don't have to worry about and really it's a combination of when you put your first notch of flaps in on downwind you know it's coming down you're expecting it to come down you feel it come down and on takeoff you get to you know 110 knots and you're climbing well and as soon as you start to pull those flaps up the gear comes up and you just don't have to worry about it and there's an override switch right in front of you so if you want to override that you can and keep it down or keep it up for flight training, et cetera. But uh, it, is a, it is a fantastic uh, system, and it's a lot of fun. It sounds like it. I was just about to ask about the override system, but you beat me to it. Very good. Sure. <laughs> so, I get that question as much as you would imagine. Yes. I have no doubt. So th now the rest of the airplanes, this is an experimental aircraft, right? Uh, amateur built? Uh, yeah. Uh, factory assist? What kind of options there? Yeah, so the Lancer is uh, under new ownership, and so far all of the Lancer Makos are being built at our build center in Uvalde. And the idea there is uh, the, the Hofstadlers came from a 30-year uh, enterprise of, of uh, over 150 STCs modifying uh, Citation jets. So they're highly experienced in the certified world, and they bring much of that discipline into the experimental world. But truth be told, after 30 years of, of dealing with the uh, very complex uh, aspects of uh, certified aviation modifications, they're excited to sort of be unleashed and, and to bring that uh, 
build discipline into the Lance Air Build Center, but also enjoy some of the benefits such as G3X Touch, retractable main gears, and, and doing all sorts of induction changes and cowling changes and improving manifold pressure and just fiddling with these airplanes to make them as, as, as good as they can. So most of our builders are coming into our build center. Um, some are working with surrogates. Uh, surrogate would be a partner in an LLC that would join you in the build of the aircraft so that uh, maybe a builder wouldn't have to be there 100% of the time or could choose whatever they want. And we actually have entrepreneurs there, experienced builders, that are starting building kits, expecting to sell them to owners. So instead of having to wait eight to nine months to build, buy your kit, to get everything organized, find your surrogate, and start the process, you come to me and want to buy an airplane, I could say, hey, Wade has uh, started building, he's five months in, and in three months, you'll have an airplane that's ready for paint, engine, and, and avionics. And uh, people really like that. So we're, we're uh, very excited about that process. And, and uh, you know, we hope that most of our builders, if not all, will take advantage of that build center where you have all the jigs, all the expertise, and you're going to have a much more efficient, quicker time to, to completion uh, with, a, with a very high quality product. Sounds very good. So uh, what are some of the uh, options or standard options, I guess you would say, that uh, at a, a prospective owner or builder would have to choose from? Sure. So the, so the options that you have to choose from are, I'll just start at the front of the airplane, the uh, normally aspirated or uh, turbocharged Lycoming engine, uh, roughly 50 for the engine or 100 for the turbo in each case, and roughly 15 for the prop. The major uh, accessory, you can still get a fixed nose gear. The retractable nose gear is an option. 100% of our builders so far or owners have, have taken that option. Then you have the optional right side door. Uh, you have optional speed brakes, optional extended fuel tank, and then obviously all the options that uh, have to do with avionics and, and other bits. But that's really it. There's, there's really five or six small options and then avionics. And almost all of our customers are going with uh, some combination of the Garmin G3X Touch and a GNS 750. And uh, it's, it is a truly fantastic package. I absolutely love it. I love flying with it, and we're learning more and more about it. We got the uh, serious work in the other day and flew down and fell asleep, and just, a, just an awesome airplane. And Garmin's avionics just make it that much better. All right. Well, thank you very much. Any, anything else you want to say, websites and such? Yeah, uh, you can find everything you need to know, uh, a build and price tool uh, on lanceair.com, L-A-N, uh, Charlie Alpha India Romeo.com, and uh, I'm Sean at lanceair.com, S-E-A-N. Send me an uh, email, and I'll answer any questions, and come and see us at Son of Fun, and thank you very much for the interview. All right, well, thank you very much, Sean, for your time. This is Russ Rosleski for Son of Fun Radio. This is Russ Rosleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast, reporting for Son of Fun Radio, Son of Fun 2018. Now I'm talking with Wes Chumley of STEMI, uh, in front of the STEMI Motor Glider. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, sun's out today, so we're much happier. We are much happier, <laughs> yes. Hopefully we'll get some flying. There's definitely some airplanes already flying around. You'll probably hear in the background here in a little bit. But uh, Wes, this aircraft is, is very interesting to me. It, it's a glider. It has a propeller. It actually has side-by-side -side seating, and I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> Explain it to me. Okay, so the category is called a touring motor glider. Um, it's, a, it's the only touring motor glider that's a very high-performance glider as well as being a, a capable airplane. Um, 53 to 1 glide ratio, which is really cutting edge. 
and uh, about a 900 nautical mile range on a tank of fuel. So very, very uh, revolutionary airplane. But when you walk up to it, at least when I first walked up, I didn't see the propeller, and now I do. So it kind of pops out of the nose cone, I guess you'd say, right? Right. We have the only folding propeller um, that I know about. Uh, the propeller, uh, the blades fold in on themselves, and they're completely covered up by a nose dome um, when you're in soaring flight. And then when you want to fly as an airplane, you open up the nose dome using a handle inside the cockpit, uh, start the engine, and you're an airplane. What kind of engine are we using here? It's a Rotax 914F, so it's a fully certified engine. It's modified by STEMI, so it's a 914F2 slash S1 engine. Four-cylinder, liquid-cooled, 115 horse Rotax. Okay, wow. So what kind of a, a range can you get on it if you just wanted to, f- if you wanted to maximize your range, I suppose, a combination of soaring and, glide- and uh, powered flight? Right, um, but people don't usually do that. Uh, usually if we're traveling, we just travel as it, uh, with the engine running. Uh, at economy cruise, you can get 945 nautical miles of range. Wow. Um, typically at normal cruise settings, uh, I, I usually do four or five hour legs, um, and then there's plenty of fuel left after that. So four or five hours translates to five or 600 miles. Okay, that's pretty good. Pretty good range in the range of a lot of other powered aircraft, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Now, you look at it, and we're used to seeing gliders, and of course, tandem seating or, or single-seat gliders. This is a side-by-side. It looks just like uh, you know, many, other, many other aircraft. Uh, full cockpit instrumentation, uh, has oxygen systems. I guess you do get up high occasionally. Uh, well, it's turbocharged. Okay. So we like to fly high uh, under power. And then as a glider, if you're operating, especially in the Rocky Mountain region or the mountainous regions in the United States, uh, would generally operate between 12,000 and 18,000 feet. So oxygen is a prerequisite. Um, The side-by-side seating, very unusual in a glider because it's difficult to to make a low-drag airplane with side-by-side seating. Much easier to do it with tandem. STEMI has achieved better than 51 to 1 glide ratio, even with the side-by-side seating. Side-by-side is much nicer socially because you can see the <laughs> see your passenger's yeah. face. Uh, you can get their reaction, engage their reaction to what you're doing. Uh, it's just a much nicer experience for passengers especially. Now, this wing, let's talk about this one because this, this is a pretty long wing. I'm, I'm mostly used to powered aircraft, and this looks gigantic to me. This is a 25-meter uh, open-class racing sailplane. Um, you can compete in glider contests anywhere in the world with it. Uh, the wing is actually 82 feet um, from tip to tip. So when you're taxing, one of the more challenging operational problems in the airplane is on ground handling. Uh, you have 40, 41 feet of wing from where you're sitting in the airplane out to the wingtip. So it gets difficult to judge. Sure, yeah, make sure you avoid the taxi signs and that kind of stuff, right? Well, we'll, we'll clear anything that's, that's legal on an airport. But if you're taxiing around other aircraft, uh, you, you see in the news all the time where the airliners bump into each other. We don't want to be involved in that, so we have to be really careful. That's right. It also has retractable landing gear. Uh, it's a tailwheel configuration, but the, uh, the two front wheels of the main gear retract. Yeah, the main gear is uh, electrically uh, retracted and extended. Uh, landing gear speed on the airplane is about 75 knots. Um, the gear takes about uh, 80 seconds to cycle. So uh, it's really nice. Um, you know, it, it allows us to have a really high-speed cruise. And, of course, as a glider, you can't have a very good glide ratio with anything sticking out of the airplane. So it's got to have retractable gear. 
Of course, that's right. So now you said this is this is a motor glider, so it's classified as a glider by the FAA. So what kind of, of training and medical certificates and that kind of stuff do I need to have to fly this? Well, when you buy your STEMI, yes. I will provide for free uh, transition training. That transition training will include uh, a logbook endorsement for self-launch gliders. Uh, so you have to have a glider rating, and then you have to have this logbook endorsement from a CFIG for um, self-launch, and that's it. Could I get my glider rating in this aircraft? Uh, you can. Um, we generally don't recommend th- that people do it that way. Uh, we like to see people get it in a traditional glider because it it puts you in a machine where you don't have the safety net of an engine, and, and we like you to have that experience. But once you get that glider rating, it's a ver- fairly easy transition into the STEMI. What about medical requirements? Um, there's no FAA medical requirement for gliders. Uh, you self-certify. So you don't even have to have a physician's uh, uh, permission. It's just you have to self-certify that you're okay to fly. So this thing, even with the motor, is treated just like a glider, like you were saying? It's exactly like a glider, yes. Well, that is amazing. And this is real nice-looking aircraft. Um, I wish I could go take it for a spin someday, but <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell us about this? Uh the only thing I can think is, if you're a pilot and you have not experienced gliding flight, then it should be on your bucket list. Go do it. It's a lot of fun. And if you if you swallow the hook, uh, come talk to us at STEMI, and we'll fix you up with the world's best motor glider. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so give me a website. Uh, www.stemi.com. That's S-T-E-M-M-E, Sierra Tango Echo, Mike Mike Echo. All right. Well, Wes, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate your time, and you've got a very fascinating aircraft here. This is Russell Zleski for Son of Fun Radio. This is Russell Zleski from the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Son of Fun Radio, Son of Fun 2018. Now I'm talking to Roger Helton of Super Patrol USA. How are you doing today, Roger? I'm doing just great. It's nice to talk with you. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, the sun came out after our uh, kind of rainy day yesterday, and uh, I was walking by and saw, I, I, I just have to describe this airplane. It's a, uh, it's a biplane. It's an amphibious seaplane with retractable landing gear. It's an LSA. Uh, it's, it's got like all the uh, adjectives you want. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun airplane, and it does a lot of things that uh, uh, people are looking for to have fun. You know, you get on the water with it, and all of a sudden you realize that, okay, this is just a real nice jet ski, uh, and then you add power, and the next thing you know, you're back to being an airplane again. That's right. It's the uh, Super Patrol LSI, and they also have the Super Patrol LS. Uh, they're very similar airplanes, flying boat design, uh, but there, there's one, it's just the engine difference, right? Yeah, the only difference between the two airplanes we've got on static display is one is the 912IS fuel-injected engine, that gives this airplane with the 25 gallons of fuel that we've got on board the airplane, it gives it about a six hour range. The turbocharged version with the 914 UL engine on it, uh, it burns about six gallons an hour at 75%. So you've really only got about four hours range. But for those guys that have, you know, want this airplane and operate off of water or high altitude airports like out west at, you know, El Paso or up in Montana and places like that, gives them the power they need to be able to get either off the water or out of the airport. It's got a service ceiling like 14,000 feet. Wow. Well, so tell us what it's like to, to fly one of these and what it's like to land and, and, and go around on the water and what it's just 
Tell us all about it. The guys that have the most fun, and I have to laugh because they get in the airplane and they look, well, where's the wheel? Oh, you've got that stick thing down there. I haven't flown a stick since I was in the military. So it's a combination of, of a lot of unique things. It's a carbon fiber airplane with a Kevlar belly uh, the, for extra added strength. Uh, it's got uh, all cockpit, is, you know, it's all glass cockpit. Uh, these airplanes have got the dining system in them, 10-inch displays with a Garmin in the middle. And uh, the hand-flying airplane, it's so light in the, in the uh, controls and so agile, makes a lot of people who have flown helicopters comparative, uh, make the comparison between the two. Uh, takeoff and landing distances, like less than 400 feet. So uh, it, it, when I do a takeoff, you know, like out of a 4,000-foot runway, I'm a long time before I bring the landing gear up because I've got all that runway still out in front of me. And if something were to quit, I can, I can still land the airplane. So I leave the gear down until I cross the departure into the runway, then climb out. But it, uh, overall, it's a fun airplane. It, it runs on MoGas, which is basically car gas, 91% octane or higher. And, uh, you know, when you're only burning about four gallons as an average or five gallons an hour, you can afford to fly your airplane. Sure, that certainly brings the price down. But one of the other great things about these airplanes is that they are light sport compliant, right? They are light sport compliant. And if you go into the light sport pilot rules and regulations, it, it, it's not an ultralight. You do have to have a pilot's license, but you can get that pilot's license with just a driver's license. Now, there is a course to go through. We really recommend that people know how to fly the airplane before they come and, <coughs> excuse me, buy an airplane and then, they, you know, add water, you know, to, to, the, uh, uh, to the training mechanism that they're going to go through. But uh, it, it, it's simple to get into the process and it's not required uh, to have a seaplane rating. You can actually only get a rating on a private commercial or airline transport pilot's license. You can't get a rating, seaplane rating on the light sport. But all this requires is an endorsement. So two of us as instructors, one will fly, get the, uh, the, the owner or the person that we're checking out, get them proficient in the airplane, good and comfortable, uh, then make a recommendation for them to take an endorsement ride. It's kind of a zero threat. It's not really a check ride, but it's an overseeing sort of thing. And a, a logbook endorsement, an FAA form gets filled out and sent into them. And you get the, like a tail dragger endorsement, you get the seaplane endorsement for the, uh, for the Anfib. Well, that sounds like a, a real nice and easy way to get into something like this, especially if, uh, if you're a pilot who you know, can't fly uh, like regular certified airplanes for some reason and you're, you're transitioning to the light sport aircraft. This would be a great way to go and still have lots of fun. It is, absolutely. And I flew for the airlines, retired, and I kind of got tired of the FAA and have to deal with them. I went to the, to the, uh, the basic med. Uh, which is a far easier thing for me to go through, and that's perfect for for these type of airplanes. Even as as a CFI, you know, in the airplane, uh, the basic med is all that I need. For those guys that uh, have not failed any kind of a medical examination, they can actually be endorsed uh, to fly the airplane just with uh, the driver's license. Well, that is fantastic. So give me a little bit of information. Uh, where can we go to find you? Uh, where are you located? We're located out of the Ormond Beach Airport. That is the facility for us uh, where we reassemble the airplanes, which is kind of a unique thing. If you had time, I'd invite you over in a couple of weeks. We've got two new ones coming. Uh, they're made in Brazil, just north of Sao Paulo. Uh, they, uh, in the past, they've been flown there, and then the wings are removed, and the airplanes are packed up. The wings are packed in wooden containers, and they ship two at a time to us in Ormond Beach. 
We then greet them when they show up after about 30 days. They're on our ramp. We unload and put them in the hangar and spend basically like the next two weeks getting them certified and back together on another uh, test flight on the airplane. Uh, once we've received the FAA's Airworthiness Certificate, we then begin training the new owner in the airplane. And one thing I have to say, we generally don't have inventory as soon as they come in, they're gone. <laughs> and in most cases, they're gone before we even get them. So uh, uh, the normal wait time from the initial deposit uh, of $5,000 to basically uh, put your name in the hat and get you started, uh, uh, it's about a six-month wait period. Uh, I've seen it vary between five and six months uh, for the aircraft to be uh, certified and ready to begin flight training with the new owner. All right. Well, give me a website here. We are at www.superpatrolusa, all one word, dot com. And uh, again, we're at the Ormond Beach Airport. If you go to the website, you can see a lot of information, including videos of the airplanes flying. Um, and you'll see uh, the specifications uh, and how to buy the airplane. And most importantly, where we're located. Come see us. Set up a demo flight. We would love to get you in the airplane until you physically fly the airplane you have no idea how much fun this is. It is pure fun, as we advertise. It really does look like it, Roger. Thank you very much uh, for your time. This is Russ Rosleski for Sun of Fun Radio. Yeah, this is Larry Overstreet with the uh, Stuck Like Avcast reporting live uh, for Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 2018. And with me is Abingdon Mullen, who is the crew member in chief at Abingdon uh, Watch Company and also the Abingdon Foundation uh, nonprofit. Uh, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes to tell us about uh, the watch company and the foundation. Um, I'm not familiar with the foundation. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Uh, the foundation just launched on our 10-year anniversary last November, and it's all about empowering women and giving them networking opportunities and sponsorships to get into STEM fields. So the science, technology, engineering, math, which includes aviation. Absolutely. It also, also includes orology, the study of watchmaking, oh. um, construction machinery, uh, coding, uh, basically anything and everything that's fun, scientific, you get your hands dirty, and you might sweat a little bit, but you're hanging outside, mechanics, the whole works. Oh, that sounds wonderful. What what uh, ages, is this for kids on up or, or adults? Uh, tell me a little bit, who, who do you work with typically? We really look um, towards uh, young adults all the way up. So um, when we offer our sponsorship, you do have to be 18 or over to win. So you can still be in high school, but we did just have a winner that we uh, sponsored uh, registration, airfare, and hotel to come out to Heli Expo in Las yeah. Vegas just last month, and she was well into her 30s. So we've got women of all ages that can apply for our sponsorships, and we're really trying to um, just reach a large audience just to expose them to these industries that they could be a part of. That sounds wonderful. That sounds terrific. Um, tell me a little bit about the watchmaking and the watch company. So I started the watch company back in 2007. That's when we launched. Okay. And I was learning how to fly in 06, and I wanted a pilot's watch. And they didn't make anything for women at the time. Okay. So all of the watches that are out there, they were beautiful. But I'm five foot six, 120, dripping wet. So there is no <laughs> way that I'm going to wear one of those big old watches. So I, uh, I found some friends and family to help me invest. And in 11 months, we launched the Abington Watch Company, which is 
just like any other aviation watch, except that it comes with pearl dials or diamonds or crystals or smaller sizes. You know, it's it's Zulu time, which is important for a pilot. It's uh, the E6B. We even have a ATIS bezel that helps us remember uh, remember ATIS when we pick okay. it up. Um, three time zones, you know, just all those different functions. Yeah. And now, 11 years later, we have dive watches. We've got tactical watches. We've got watches for the racing industry. We've got watches for basically all the industries that make amazing products for men. We are just doing the same thing, providing them for women. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, where are you on the field during the show here for people who might want to come by? So uh, we've unofficially uh, renamed Hangar A as the Abingdon Hangar. And <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> and uh, so we're in A15. Very good, very good. Um, and you have your uh, the the aviation watches and also the other watches. We do available. Yep. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. And um, you have uh, some giveaways going on during the show. We do. We are taking care on the watch sales size. We sales side. We're doing about thirty seven percent off of the watches. Oh, very good. So um, we're taking care of, care of Florida sales tax for you. We're also obviously you're not going to be shipping it if you purchase it through the website. You would. Yeah. So we have them here at the show that we have sold out already of two styles wow. after the first day, which is incredible. And um, and then we're also doing free sizing and free battery changes for existing customers. So that is happening. And then we also have the best stickers in town. Everybody loves these stickers. And come by, pick them up. They say, ladies, it's time to fly. We've got ladies, it's time to shoot, time to torque, ladies, it's time to drive. Whatever you like to do, we've got a sticker for you. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, Evan, and thank you for coming by. Um, I wish you well. Enjoy the rest of the show. This is Larry Overstreet with Suck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 18. Hello, everybody. This is Larry Overstreet uh, with Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio this year at Sun and Fun 18. And today with me, I have um, Andy Nixon, who is the co-founder and VP of sales with MROinsider.com. Sorry, MROinsider.com, which is kind of a whole new way to think about uh, your aviation maintenance needs. Um, This is is an interesting way to pair up the needs that I may have for my aircraft uh, as probably a commercial operator or, or corporate operator, that kind of thing. Um, with uh, candidate shops who may be able to, to take care of different service needs that I have. Tell me a little bit about how it works. Sure. So the way that MROinsider.com works is that uh, as an aircraft owner-operator, you can go in and create a free account. We will prompt you for your location as well as your aircraft making model and engine making model. And whenever you need airframe, engine, avionics, paint, interior, uh, you know, or any miscellaneous repair done, you simply log in and your info is saved there. You'll select your service detail and you can upload um, your equipment list or a picture of your panel, say, for an avionics upgrade, um, how far you're willing to fly and when you'd like to have it done, and it will automatically submit the quote request to any facility on our network that has that specific capability for that type of airframe, engine, avionics, etc. And then they can respond back with a quote. So the idea behind it was that now somebody with one click can then compare two, three, four, five different quotes and then visit the profile page for each facility and read customer reviews, see where they're located, uh, have their contact info. Um, it is tied into Google Maps, so you can see exactly where they're located. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of make an informed decision before you uh, pull the trigger on your next event. Oh, that sounds great. Um, when, when I do that, what does that cost me? 
Um, it is free for aircraft owners and operators, and we generate our revenue um, strictly off of a flat yearly fee that we charge the facilities. So there's no transaction fees, there's no commissions, there's no hidden costs. Um, we don't actually manage the business like some of these other companies out there. We keep getting asked, are you, you know, are you coming in as a broker and beating us up on the pricing and things like that? And the answer to that is no. You guys can, you know, as a facility, they can run $10 million a year through our website. It's still just a flat fee and it's always free for the aircraft owner. Perfect, perfect. Now I've seen your, um, yeah, I see your logo on your shirt. So I've seen uh, your your team members uh, run around the, the um, grounds here. Uh, how can people find you on social media, on the internet, if they're here at the show, want to meet up, that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. They can definitely visit our website and um, our contact info is on there. It will come right to, uh, to one of our cell phones. And then also you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're pretty active on there, taking pictures and um, doing all that stuff. So if you'd like to meet up, just, uh, just uh, follow us there and give us a call if you'd like. Wonderful. Um, And uh, any giveaways going on or, or specials? Yeah, so currently we are giving away, if you, uh, as a pilot, if you sign up and register your aircraft um, between now and the end of next week, we are doing a drawing for two tickets to the Kentucky Derby. So we've already purchased those. They're awesome seats. I think they're in like uh, Section 300. And uh, all you have to do is show up there at the airport in Louisville on May 5th, and we will drive you to the race. That sounds terrific. All right. Well, uh, Andy Nixon with MROinsider.com. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This has been Larry Overstreet with uh, Stuck Mike Avocast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio at Sun and Fun 18. This is Bill English with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. We are at the Flyby Showcase Briefing Room. Uh, talking here with Bill McKee. He's the Chairman Emeritus of the Flyby Showcase. That's those airplanes that you're seeing coming by the flight line now at about 500 feet. And they're not just flying by uh, on a random basis. This is a very proceduralized, planned activity to maintain the safety that we have at Sun and Fun. And Bill and his crew here brief pilots on doing exactly that. Bill, could you give us some of the details about um, what is the Flyby Showcase? Who participates in that? The Flyby Showcase was uh, performed in order to allow manufacturers or individuals to demonstrate their aircraft in the air over the Sun and Fun site and as a fly-by show center uh, we have an announcer they can have an announcer on the announcer stand that that is extolling the virtues of the aircraft on the public address system this is uh, completely no charge it's an opportunity for these people to show their aircraft off in the air as well as on a static display we have had everything from uh, light sports to light jets in our pattern, and occasionally we will have a series of warbirds uh, will fly in our fly-by pattern. Uh, we uh, brief them here at the building uh, about the, what the fly-by pattern will be, uh, what the altitudes are, what the checkpoints are for them to see, to know, to stay in the pattern. Uh, when they're in this, this pattern, they're on our showcase discrete frequency. And if they make any deviations from the pattern, we can let them know and help them get back uh, where they should be. Uh, the, the pattern will f- varies in altitude up to 1,600 feet, depending on how fast the plane is, or it's 1,000 feet if they're slower. But then when they get around to show center, we let them come down to 500 feet. And... Uh, we also uh, will, after the briefing, we give them a staging time. We meet them where they're going to launch from at stage. Then it, when launch time comes, we get them out on the main runway, get them launched, 
And while they're in the air, they're in our own discrete frequency. And when it comes time to get them out after they've made three or four circuits, we say whatever aircraft it is, nice job, exit flyby pattern, contact tower on 118.35, and they will give you instructions for landing. Uh, they will land on uh, the main runway, which allows them to get back to the south side of the airport more quickly and more efficiently. Uh, this has worked quite well. Since there's no charge, it's a good way for people to show off the aircraft, and we try to do whatever we can to help them do this. So anyone really could do this. It could be a private individual with a nice vintage airplane all the way up to the, the latest and greatest BizJet or Warbirds, or anybody can, can do this, right? Absolutely. All they have to do is they have to have a briefing, and uh, we make sure that they've got the proper credentials uh, and their airplane is properly uh, credentialed. We don't inspect the aircraft, but we make sure that they've got the right paperwork and that these people have the uh, proper credentials to, to fly uh, in this crowded environment. So you mentioned a little bit how it works, and uh, this is more than just a verbal briefing. Obviously, we're audio. I can't show you this, but in the briefing uh, area here, um, Bill and his crew would be briefing the pilots on this great big map we've got up on the wall. It shows the, the airport, the runways, the, the whole area of the show, and it's, it looks like basically a big traffic pattern with the altitudes that you mentioned that uh, keeps everybody separated from the regular traffic coming in and the air show, et cetera, correct? And all the other planes that are flying uh, at light sport, which are in an altitude lower than our aircraft. The whole point is to keep everybody separated and safe. Safety is the number one priority in all this. Yep, this is uh, definitely uh, very well planned out. Uh, every everything's covered in here. If you look at the uh, you look at that map, you can see both the ground patterns, the air patterns, uh, places to go in case of an emergency. So everything can be kept. Uh, as safe as it usually is right here at, uh, at, at Sun and Fun and be able to operate the regular traffic, this pattern. And, and I, as you mentioned, Paradise City operates pretty much underneath your pattern, right? That's correct, yes. And uh, do LSAs also operate in this sometimes as well? Yes, LSAs. In fact, uh, today we have a couple of LSAs that are in our fly-by pattern. They chose to have it in this our pattern instead of the LSA pattern, which uh, the LSAs fly a, a similar pattern usually one hour before we fly our our air. So our, our planes are usually the bigger, heavier airplanes, but the LSA has an hour uh, also. Those that come from Paradise City, which is uh, where they're based. But they're also briefed and uh, checked out just like they do here. And uh, But we let either LSAs or anything up to jets to fly in our pattern. Right. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Bill, uh, for this insight into how the, uh, the safe operation here at uh, Sun and Fun is, is done. Uh, this is Bill English with Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And we're back. This is Russ Rosleski. I'm joined right now with Victoria Newville. And it was really neat listening to all those interviews and conducting them as well, wasn't it? It was a really fun day. We get to meet amazing people here at Sun and Fun uh, that we wouldn't meet otherwise. So it's always a blast to listen to these. It is, and we got to talk to a lot of fascinating people, see a lot of great products, and uh, see a bunch of interesting people, definitely. Yeah, just make sure to do hashtag Sun and Fun Radio if you're listening, hashtag Stuck Mike Selfie if you want us to see it and get a picture with us, do a hashtag Stuck Mike Selfie, hashtag SNF18 is the official hashtag of Sun and Fun. And of course, as always, you can listen to it live and streaming on the internet year-round, liveatc.net slash SNF. And, of course, stuckmikeavcast.com if you want to go there as well. 
Uh, we enjoyed talking today, and we will see you and talk to you tomorrow. We've got a bunch of new interviews coming up on day three of Sun and Fun. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.